Sebastian Vettel's championship hopes have taken a critical hit. Joseph Newgarden is your IndyCar Series champion. What we've just said is a factual description of events. No further speculation is necessary. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Wow, that's totally fake news, bruh. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Oh, buddy, we've we've got a good show. We have got a jam-packed show. We're recording on this September 18th, 2017, uh, the weekend after the day after the Formula One Singapore Grand Prix and the IndyCar Championship Finale, the GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma. Uh, there was a six-hour race at Circuit of the Americas. People went to that. Um, I am RJ O'Connell, reporting to you live from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, let us uh, let's say hi to everybody who's joined us here. Uh, first of all, Ryan King from from a uh, from beautiful New York City. Hello, Ryan. Yes. Yes. Oh my God! I had an eventful weekend watching. Well, not watching the Formula One Grand Prix live. I, of course, watched that tremendous Turn 1 incident. Uh, I watched it. The first time I saw it, it was set to Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. So I knew what was about to go down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, buddy. Uh, And much like like the movie that that song was written for, interest in this race quickly plummeted because it was structurally uh, crap. Zoe Hamilton from Glasgow, Scotland. Um, say hi to us, Zoe. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I, I think you, you you need to. I'm going to, like next. I'm going to teach you how to say Glasgow in Scotland. Also, ignore the the bloody Jim Clark book on my shelf. Hi, yes, because because yes. someone is sadly not with us no longer. Yes. Um, <laughs> Rest in peace, uh, Andre Harrison uh, left us uh, left us far too soon from uh, from from a from a chronic case of cowardice because his man's his man's uh, took himself out of the championship. Uh, go read it in a reputable uh, motorsport magazines online. Uh, you can look for them using Google. But yes, um, Dre is not here because he was scared to talk about his man's. Uh, effectively giving the championship away to Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, he, he, he was pressured out of the media space by a massive media conglomerate, which shall go unnamed. <laughs> Speaking of overfed behemoths, from Curitiba, Brazil, Mateus Carnero. Hi, Matt. Hello, everyone. It's surprisingly sunny and chilly, Curitiba. I should have packed the coat today, but everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Matt Matt does things on the internet sometimes. Sometimes he does not do things on the internet, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people are upset <laughs> that he's not doing things on the internet. Man. I mean, that's true. Eh, whatever, that's their problem. That's true. That's what I tell people all the time. Uh, places you can find us. You can listen to this podcast um, as you are right now 
on SoundCloud, and on Apple Podcast. Oh, baby, get that sweet sound right into your eardrums. <laughs> um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Motorsport 101. Get some original content from the aforementioned and uh, absent Dre. Trey's going to be back, y'all. Uh, just uh, maybe. In all seriousness, uh, yeah, maybe he might be back if uh, if if Mister Hill decides um, he wants him to be off on a Monday. Then we'll have Dre back. Um, you can you can uh, follow us on Facebook at Motorsport One Hundred One. You can follow us on Twitter at Motorsport Underscore One Hundred One. And if you want to support this show and Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 financially, you can back us on Patreon slash motors, patreon.com slash Motorsport 101. Our personal Twitter handles are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, at WeZoe, and at Skellington. You may notice why we have all four of us here, because in addition to the Singapore Grand Prix, and the IndyCar finale that we're going to talk about, as well as some other odds and ends for the world of motorsport. Oh, it's time to reveal the the results of the Motorsport 101 Centennial Cup, and all we can tell you right now, it's a barn burner, and you're going to want to listen to this till the end. And not just because of our charming personalities. Let us be perfectly clear. <laughs> all right, um, with, our, with our general housekeeping out of the way... Let's dive into Keeping It 101 and talk about everything else that has nothing to do with the world of motorsport, but is probably entertaining anyway. is kind of our just like sitting around at the barbershop sort of deal except we're not all like painfully socially awkward when we're getting our hair cut <laughs> um king you got anything yes i have one story that came out early last week i almost forgot about it but then a friend of the show josette torres let us let reminded us that we needed to talk about this oh yeah, there's a story uh, that was published last week, Tuesday, September 12th, in on Autosport.com by Jonathan Noble. And headline, Formula One lucky to have avoided a ransomware attack so far. Even our precious world of the FIA Formula One World Championship is not, is not completely safe from th- those dangerous, threatening hackers out there, which have you know, completely compromise the personal credit system of the United States of America, have completely, you know, down the NHS for a while. Um, they actually shut down a reno factory during that attack. <laughs> but so that's why Jolian Palmer's been trash up to this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless, like, Jolian Palmer's driving his Twigo out there on track, it had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I mean, he might as well be driving at Twigo. <laughs> oh, poor Jolian Palmer. Oh, yes. Gosh. Well, uh, technology company Acronis, who sponsors Toro Rosso and, you know, helps, you know, protect their files and back up their data at their team factory. Uh, president of the company, Jonathan Zaney, believes that Formula One should be doing more to protect itself. Quote, 
it hasn't been happening much, and teams like Toro Rosso are pretty secure because they're serious about how they manage and secure it. I mean, secure their IT. And But F1 has been lucky up to now. I hope it will stay lucky and become even secure in the future. Formula 1 is a massively popular sport. That exactly what what usually a target I mean that is exactly what is usually a target something that that gets you a lot of press this situation needs to be taken seriously and like end quote like yo how how has formula 1 not been attacked yet like the only sport like there are only two sporting events that are more popular than Formula One, and that is the Olympic Games and the FIFA World Cup. God. Mm. I know, I guess no one really bothered to try yet. <laughs> I mean, oh what God. is there to gain really? Hijacking telemetry? Yeah, I mean uh well, I could see I could see this being nightmares for Formula E. Let me be perfectly yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I know earlier this year, at this year's 24 Hours of Le Mans, someone actually launched a denial-of-service attack on the official on the official live stream broadcast and downed it for, like, I think a couple of minutes. No, I Jesus. think a few hours, actually. It was out for a, quite a while. A few hours? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was actually out for, about like, maybe the first couple hours of the race or maybe the first hour. I'm not sure. But it was out for quite a while, longer than just a few minutes. To the Jesus. point where they actually Can- had a... T- yeah, to the point where they actually had to mention it on the Twitter, even. Hindi and crew covered for that real well. Um, can I just mention that this is not the only antivirus sponsor with F1 ties that's gotten in trouble? Because, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, Kaspersky, Russian software firm, um, has uh, been booted out of the United States after uh, being accused of helping uh, the Russians uh, do some hacking that may or may not have uh, led to certain results in our governmental elections going the way they did. (laughs) Um, So as it stands, um, Kaspersky has no more market in the United States. Um, Who did did they sponsor? Um, uh, That that team that had that massive first lab accident. You know, the one that's in red and really Italian? Oh, yes. Scuderia Ferrari. Italia. Mm. Ooh, it's and it's, that, that's that's not good for Ferrari considering how massive their American market is. <laughs> nope, uh, it's a uh, it's very bad. Um, they should they should look to their more reputable sponsors, like Philip Morris <laughs> Tobacco. Just <laughs> <laughs> a just a company. When that's your your reputable. Like, your sponsor that is known to target, like, kids in, like, Asia and Africa is your reptile sponsor. Ooh, it's like, hey, is Shell that bad? I know they're an oil company, but they can't be, like, the worst oil company. Well, Greenpeace tried to hijack the Pony one time in 2013 in Spa. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That was... Oh, God, I remember Just that. because they that... sponsored the race. I think that was, like, one of the seven interesting things that happened in 2013. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt, 
what what what's been what's been going on buddy what what have you been up to lately what's what's got your interest my dude uh i know personally nothing really i mean apart from any mstf1 for now because uh i don't feel like doing it um not a lot i guess uh maybe just a quick mention uh rest in peace bobby heaton who died passed away yesterday sadly um and yeah, I don't have a lot to talk about personally. For those um, for those younger, Bobby Heenan was probably one of the greatest multiversal talents in professional wrestling. He was great as a manager, uh, one of the dying arts of professional wrestling nowadays. Also great as a cover commentator. Like a lot of his stuff, you know, certainly doesn't hold up in this day and age because who it was way out there, but. Heenan it was, was acceptable just, in the eighties. <laughs> it was acceptable at the time. Um, do, do. But Heenan was a uh, Heenan was wonderful um, as just a person from everybody who knew him in the business, um, and put so much work into his craft. It is really, really sad that you know oral cancer took away his ability to talk in the final years of his life considering he was always regarded as one of the best talkers yeah that is like incredibly that is like tragically ironic bobby heenan was 73 years old and he passed away this past sunday right as the uh the indycar race was about to start yeah, yeah. oh my goodness it's no. like well, I remember, like I, well, I grew up watching Bobby Heenan as color commentary, uh, doing color commentary on on Nitro. That's how I knew him. And oh, oh yes, he, he, he made tuning into Nitro the best thing. <laughs> the two greatest, the two greatest moments that he contributed to as part of commentary was his entire run of the nineteen ninety two Royal Rumble, where he just went all out in favor of the Nature Boy <laughs> Ric Flair because yeah. he was his manager. Uh, so he was invested on having him win, and it was like it was like it was like watching it was like watching it with your best friend who was like super invested in one dude, uh, and yes. just having them go through the motions. And now you've given them a microphone uh, for television broadcast. Also, 1996, Bash at the Beach, WCW, uh, when when he inadvertently tipped that Hulk Hogan was going to be the third man. But whose side is he on? What are you talking about? What? But whose side? Is he on? You know, I would actually argue. Um, I think I saw this on OSW. I would actually argue that it actually makes sense for Heenan's character to do that because he always hated Hogan in WWE, yes. and he will continue to hate him in WCW. So it will make sense for Heenan to try and paint Hogan as the bad guy. But yeah, yeah, it kind of doesn't really work here. Oh, man. So yeah, for one last time. Will you stop? <laughs> Will you, you stop? stop? Zoe, yeah. what you got going on? Um, how how was how was your book? That's what we're worried. About. <laughs> how was your book? <laughs> My book is fine. <laughs> oh, it's a bit bloody, but fine. <laughs> I I I really need to do a proper piece. On Jim Clark's autobiography, because he wrote it after his first championship, or it was written, goes around it at that time, and it's some of the details in it. Like he talks about obviously a bond trip, the crash bond trips, but he also talks about being um, 
after he won the championship, getting called by the police to get interrogated again about it. Because obviously he's not he wasn't gonna have told them something two years prior. And he's gonna remember it now. Yeah. I watched a documentary about that and it made me upset that they would just continue to interrogate them, almost like they wanted to put the blame on him for causing that accident because young and reckless driver well, yeah, gotta, I mean, gotta hold somebody accountable, and we'll we'll talk about this uh, ridiculous accountability culture in motorsport because it's it seemed like you know we have a we have a bit of a problem with this in racing sometimes. But I mean, that goes back to like this weird quirk in Italian law, where you know Italy being one of the first countries that got motor racing, they kind of made it so if there was ever a fatal accident at a motorsports venue that you could be held accountable for it while in other countries it would be seen as like a workplace accident and it wouldn't the the investigation wouldn't be one of personal guilt but one of employer guilt so like say if formula one had a fatal accident in france formula one would be under investigation not the driver not the drivers involved in the accident yeah Fans more recently may remember that the Ayrton Senna investigation was reopened back in 2004. Um, at, they they just wouldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where I think uh, Sir, Sir Frank Williams and Adrian Newey were charged. Mm-hmm. The, there's also a loophole in regards to Indianapolis. Because Indiana has a law regarding poop putting people at risk, knowingly putting yes. people at risk. But the Indiana t- has a lot of dumb state laws. <laughs> Let us be perfectly clear. Yes, e- even even before the governorship of one Mike Pence. <laughs> um, but in regards to the crash between Clark and Von Trips, Clark was, wasn't expected to be as high up because the Ferraris throughout that season had been dominating. All that yes. happened was Clark managed to slipstream and keep up. And Von Trips had basically thought he'd broke the stream and Jim was going to have dropped right back. And obviously he hadn't. Yep, he hadn't. And we know what happened next. And still waiting on the movie, though. Still waiting on the movie. Because apparently there was a movie project in the works for that season with, you know, Tobey Maguire playing Phil Hill. <laughs> Uh, no. Is that gonna turn up? I uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you, do we want the first Spider Man to also play <laughs> America's first Formula One World Champion? Spider yes, Hill. it's it's Spider only Hill. it's only fitting. It's only fitting. Get Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield deserved better. Um, let's. I want to talk about a couple of things that I did over the weekend. Uh, I went to a soccer game. I went to see Atlanta United play Orlando City in the largest attended Major League Soccer match in history. This broke a record. That, yes, yes, it's uh, it was a record that stood for 21 years as far back at opening day. Yes, yeah. like if you MLS... if you have to if you have to wonder the effect of oh shiny thing we have pro soccer in America <laughs> and now nobody cares and all of a sudden. Atlanta gets a team, and we put 70,000 people in the Stank Anya Dome, a.k.a. Mercedes-Benz Stadium. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, man, that, that, is, that is an awesome stadium. 
the, let me get that off my chest first. But second, like, a- Atlanta, like, I think Atlanta is one of those American markets where soccer is popular, but, like, the MLS never, like, deemed Atlanta large enough to get an MLS club until recently. And you have to understand as well, um, Atlanta always has this weird reputation of being a very bad pro sports town. Like, they'll go hard for college football, but I think there's also, like, not just a, like, disconnect with, like, the pro teams, but I think it has a lot to do with, like, the the divide in the culture of Atlanta itself. Like, um, the Atlanta Braves really resonate with the the white exurbs north of uh, metro Atlanta. And, uh, <laughs> that's why they don't play at the tip anymore, RJ. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Um, and that's also kind of the reason why they're kind of falling out of favor. Um, the city famously could not support two NHL teams, not one, but two. <laughs> not um, one, but two. The Atlanta Hawks are perennially good enough, yet still do not pack the house. And the Atlanta Falcons have a weird history of being probably the most popular pro team, but also the team that has come up so so famously short atlanta united represents a clean slate it represents a team that i think all of atlanta for all of its uh for all of its cultural facets can get behind and embrace yeah. and this is a fun-ass team joseph martinez who is my favorite venezuelan athlete since maldonado retired let me be perfectly <laughs> clear joseph martinez scored his second consecutive hat trick He's missed, like, a third of the MLS season, and he's already back up to fourth in the league standings. He's averaging a goal per game. My dude. Yeah, My that dude. is insane. And I think, like, to go back on Atlanta being, you know, bad sports city, but great soccer city. I like. I think, like, St. Louis, Missouri is also in that category of it not being a quote-unquote good sports city, but having, like, a massive soccer following that just doesn't have an MLS club yet. Uh Pittsburgh's also in the same category, but for, like, a completely different reason of being a quote-unquote bad sports city, where it's like, what? I, I would say it's a deserved reputation. Pittsburgh teams are good, well-attended, but extremely fair weather and have known for having trash bag fans. I mean, same. Our, uh... Uh, Atlanta's uh, local sports talk radio station has gotten themselves into more dumb shit that I can count up. Uh, more shit that I want to delve into for a second. Um, I I had an interesting time. Um, Atlanta traffic going into town is bad. Don't do that. Also, don't get, <laughs> don't get off on the wrong train um, when you're taking the MARTA down from the red line and then you realize you missed your connection point at five points. Uh, because you then had to realize you had to go take a westbound train to get to the stadium itself. But other than that, it was fine. The stadium is enormous. It has a giant eagle outside of it. Um, I saw that. It looks awesome. I went. I then went home and watched and went from one entertaining draw to another. The, oh, dear. The Sol Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Gennadovich Golovkin uh, super fight. You know, the actual boxing super fight that has actual professional boxers that actually love to hit and put on an entertaining match um generally put on by two not so trash can as human beings um it was a fun it was a fun fight worth uh <coughs> buying <laughs> <laughs> hbo will get their money um it was a fun fight worth watching um 
And then we get to the finish. Two knockout artists who have a combined uh, 70 knockouts between them in like 80 fights um, manage to go to go 12 rounds to a decision. Uh, for about two-thirds of the fight, it looked like the undefeated Gennady Golovkin had uh, pretty much sewn this up. Uh, then we get to the judges' scorecards. Um, we get to a draw with a split decision of one judge voting for Golovkin, one judge thinking it was a draw, and one judge thinking Canelo Alvarez, who looked like he was getting teed off on for two-thirds of this fight, winning two-thirds of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Like all that time we got punched in the face, he won. Matt, you're you uh you may you may have some like residual um Matt, how do you feel about combat sports in general and judging and how screwy combat sports judging is? Uh well I, I um I don't really know. I can't really talk about it because I don't watch a lot of combat sports. The only combat sports are I watch are fake. And uh, no, they're they're much more real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like consi- considering how the outcome is come to, yeah, pro wrestling is much more real. <laughs> well, I'm... to be well, to be fair to myself, I didn't really watch this one, so yeah, I can't really talk about it. Okay, that's, that's entirely fair. I was just thinking on the lines of, yeah. I think everybody wanted to see this fight again. I'm just like, you know what? Fine. If, if this gives you more incentive to, uh, to have another fight. On the other hand, it also brings up the argument that boxing judges are corrupt and screwy. And uh, yeah, everything bad about boxing, which has been holding it back. But then you look at UFC, which is slowly morphed into um, co- cookie cutter mixed sport. And it also has had its fair share of judging controversies. Not as many because fights go to a decision uh, earlier than in most boxing matches, but there have been some screwy instances of uh, bad, bad judging. Just, just bad. Mm. This was a, this was, this was a fun fight. Maybe, maybe they'll have this fight again, and maybe someone will get knocked out. So that we don't have to have this happen again, uh, and we can we can uh, we can save Teddy App Atlas of ESPN from having an apoplectic fit. I want him. I do want him to debate about uh, filet mignon and hamburgers with Stephen A. Smith again. <laughs> How did that go? Um, this was after the Mayweather McGregor fight. Um, and they were commenting basically about how it was neither man's best fight. Uh, one of them was untrained, and the other of them was slow and like two steps past his prime. Um, one of them had made the analogy that uh, they that he that uh, Conor McGregor forced Floyd Mayweather to, to to for him to be a gourmet chef, but have him forced to be cook a hamburger. Um, Stephen A. Smith replied with something along the lines of if you go to a five-star restaurant and you order a burger it's still a burger oh yeah I, I, oh yeah i saw the clip of that one <laughs> oh my God. i remember now 
this uh, motorsport also makes us think things like this. Um, we had two very good draws, and then and then I watched Arsenal Chelsea for like the last ten minutes after the race ended. That that was crap ass. Ah, oh, golly. Um, with all that out of the way, let's uh, let's 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 go slinging. Let's go. Let's go to Singapore under the lights, baby. in Singapore the Singapore Grand Prix kicking off this uh, this this uh, swing through Asia which will then culminate in Malaysia and Japan uh, round 14 of the championship and in many people's eyes Ferrari's best chance to regain the championship lead Sebastian Vettel's best chance to put himself clear of Lewis Hamilton uh, at a track where traditionally Mercedes have struggled in the last two years and Ferrari and Red Bull have traditionally been better. Uh, how'd that turn out? Um, they, they certainly did something that Ferrari has never done before. Right. They made history by being the first Ferrari team to take each other out on lap one. <laughs> I... I I don't know how to feel about this. Like, I I know distinctly what happened. So, some people have no idea what happened, but like, and I'm some in... people have no idea what happened. But we'll assure you that they know exactly <laughs> what happened. You just have you just have to at Scuderia Ferrari on Twitter. <laughs> okay, so and let's break this down. And some people had nothing to do had nothing to do with it apart from getting caught at the last second (laughs) (sighs) don't remind me so yeah Sebastian Vettel qualified on the front row with Mats Verstappen um that's something interesting happened which never happens at Singapore during Grand Prix weekend it rains I'm pretty sure Singapore does some crazy weather manipulation bullshit to prevent this from happening and it rained it rained uh, with, like, it, it just started coming down, like, ten minutes before the race. Now, granted, this kind of dries out quickly, but there was still enough uh, uh, spray, enough moisture, you know, to cause some trouble. So we were kind of thinking, oh, buddy, how are they going to handle this? Well, Vettel gets an okay start. Verstappen gets an okay start. Kimi Räikkönen on the other hand, he gets up. He gets a bang-on start, and he goes for the gap in the inside. He sees that. Now, Vettel is not thinking of this because he's busy focusing on Max Verstappen. He's starting to move a little bit over to the left, you know, just trying to defend his position as he's done hundreds and hundreds of times at this point in his career. And boom goes the dynamite, quite literally. Verstappen bunches into Kimi. Two of them crunch into Vettel. Uh, Kimi's car just plows into Alonso's car. Fernando Alonso uh, had no stake in this game. He was just trying to make one of his dynamite starts, and then he got collected. Uh, 
And then Vettel drives another couple hundred meters with a busted radiator that is leaking out everywhere, spins out, crashes in, and... <sighs> Zoe... Sadness. Zoe has... Is this game over for the championship? I mean, at this point, we are kind of just sitting here. What, like, it's like... Right. Right, Alonso just... Not Alonso. Hamilton keeps talking about your veganism to the point that you have to ha change bits in the car because it's not vegan. Become that <laughs> vegan. Force bits in the car to get changed that then cause like the car to fail. Because that's... This, this was really the track that Sebastian needed to keep the title chase close. And I don't think there's really that many races left that you could see a Ferrari tracks. I honestly don't know if there are any left. I'm looking at these net six races. Malaysia, Japan, um, that's Mercedes country. Uh, USA, that uh, that could swing either way because it's Coda. Mexico, probably Mercedes country. Uh, Brazil and Abu Dhabi. Yeah, this is this is not looking good for Sebastian Vettel's chances, y'all. Um, so I'm so when. When Dre and when others are kind of writing this off like the championship has decided, um, if this if this just goes to form book and like two thirds of the net sits rounds, yeah, this championship's done. It could even get clinched early. Oh my god. <sighs> oh my gosh. A whole Man. year for nothing. Yeah, and you know, I've uh you know, we we kind of need to talk about this. Is is there enough? Was this just a racing incident, or do you think that there is uh, plenty of blame to go around on any one or two sides of this in particular? Because nobody is sure. Most people believe that this is a racing incident. Uh, if you ask Red Bull, um, it totally wasn't Matt's Verstappen's fault. If you ask Ferrari, they'll tell you exactly Matt's Verstappen's fault. Well, I mean and if you ask Matt's Verstappen... You'll say it was probably Kimmy's fault or Vettel's. Well, or I mean, both. You could argue in regards to Vettel. He didn't like. He didn't need to try and squeeze Max. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, but you, this you kind of it was kind of a reflex, no? Like uh -huh, it's a reflex, so but yeah, is that kind of a at that like? The track, like, when the rain fit, when it ended up becoming a wet race, the advantage he had over the Mercedes went because Ferrari haven't been good in the wet at all this season. But then you're still in the camp where, like, there, there's, if you're Sebastian Vettel, you, you think that Max Verstappen has about three car widths before he's even off the track. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't have squeezed. It's whether... I mean, the other thing is, obviously, Kimmy's starts have been pretty much atrocious for most of the season. So he probably wasn't yeah. thinking that Kimmy was actually going to have a good start. <laughs> right. Um, in the immediate reaction, I was watching this with my dad. My dad suggested Kimmy should have been fired immediately just for getting a good start, which I don't know if that's accurate. Um... Can he fire for uh, doing his job? Yeah, 
getting fired for actually not botching the start. I mean, I I brought this up, you know, what was Kimmy supposed to do in that spot? Uh, slam on the brakes with all that spray mm-hmm. just to make sure that his teammates go th- his teammate goes through ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it's just you ex- you get used to certain routines and you expect certain things to happen. And obviously, there's already a variable change by the fact it's a wet start. So, moves that you normally maybe not move quite as much, you move a bit more because you're on a wet track, even with the intermediates and all that. And with that, we have four cars taken out in the first corner. We're thinking, wow, this race escalated fast. What's the rest of it going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> and then we- can we, um, can, it, can we just appreciate the fact that the McLaren did manage to last to lap 9 before finally dying? <laughs> before they sat there went, yeah, like, we're getting no data, we're getting nothing from the car, You're, you you don't have any data in the car, let's just park before we unwittingly blow you up. Absolutely. Mm. Of course, Fernando Alonso just making up those, uh, that severe underfloor damage to try and park the car early so he can get that Williams contract. <laughs> no, he was he was to race alongside Robert Kubica. Sonoma. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, make the uh, early flight. <laughs> oh yes. Like Concord um, guys, we're, we're bringing back. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is my Concord. I uh, fly it all the time at the Reno Air Race. Um, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, this race, uh, it, it popped early. And in a wrestling show, if you have the big pop early, it means nobody's going to have any, any energy for the main event. You're going to end up in a WrestleMania 32 spot where you're just feeling like this show has gone on eight hours and nobody wants to see this main event. God, why is this show so long? Why is Phil Rida always doing the main event mid, <laughs> mid-stage concert at intermission? Um yeah, the race pretty much went to form. Lewis Hamilton had all the track position, and it didn't matter how slow his car was in practice and qualifying. If you have track position at Singapore, you're pretty much set. Yeah, it's a track where you don't pass. It's a track where you don't really make up time. It's a long-ass track. It's just bad. I, I really dislike the Singapore race. Not, not Well, not this one in particular, because just because you know what happened at the start but in general it's always so long and i just get so tired at, at the end is that yeah like one of my least favorites singapore is one of the tra- like i i'm of two minds about singapore on one hand i really enjoy the spectacle i love that it's a night race i love it's yeah i love this like the city streets i love the layout of the circuit like if you it's, drive it mm-hmm. in an f1 video game it's fun it is. Yeah. Actually, it's, uh, it's aesthetically pleasing and fun to drive. On the other hand, it does not promote you, overtaking. It does not yeah. promote overtaking. Not in cars like this. I can tell you that. The fun um, times aren't fun. I, I, no. I, we did have like on the Channel Four coverage. It was pointed out that Singapore is now being involved in F one longer than like Long Beach was. Yes. Yes. And I'm fine with this. Uh-huh. And it's kind of like, yeah, but you see Long Beach 
and you think racetrack. You say Singapore, you don't think racetrack. Uh, I'd, I'd say they put on the same quality of racing. Yeah, they put the same quality of racing on, but I don't think, when you say Singapore, I don't think racetrack as quickly as I do with Long Beach. Again, I don't know much about Long Beach beyond there's a race there and there's a dolphin fountain. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like a massive shipping port. With one Red Bull out, we were all looking to Daniel Ricciardo as, uh, as being the guy to take the fight to Lewis Hamilton, and it just never happened. That well, pace that Red Bull had through all three practices and in qualifying, just uh, it just never came. Is Red Bull crap in the wet? Did Daniel Ricciardo just lose so much time in dirty air? Was the car not geared towards these conditions? Matt... What what the what in the YY world of sports happened with Daniel Ricardo? I mean, he got a second place finish. That's not bad, but you know, we were kind of left wondering, mm, but what? But it could have been more. It could have been more. Uh, it felt like he kind of stuck getting close at a few points, but um, at at those very points, then the the pace started faltering, and then um, I don't know. Maybe the car just wasn't very. I guess I guess the. Um, Red Bull might have lost at the advantage they had with the wet race, maybe. And then when they switched the drives, they just couldn't get it back. Uh, but, yeah, then again, like we said, this isn't really a track where you... Unless you have... Unless you're insanely good and have an insane setup, you don't really make up place, you don't really make up time in this. You just, you're, you're mostly stuck where you are. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah, this was a, uh, this was a, this race started off very fun, and then there was a little bit of attrition through the end of it. We had two different safety cars, one of which made it close at the very end, but not really. Lewis Hamilton won, Natch, uh, Daniel Ricciardo finished second, Valtteri Bottas finished third, and he didn't even have his drink model and if you know anything about the Singapore Grand Prix, whew, you're, you're going to sweat and you're <laughs> going to feel miserable. And that's before that's before one of the other drivers in the press room breaks wind in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best clip. If you if you catch the post-race press conference, not like the podium ceremony, but if you happen to catch the post-race press conference, uh, Daniel Ricardo. Let's one rip from down under, and you can see Valtteri Bottas just being unable to contain um, his uh, surprise. I guess <laughs> surprise. He, he was, he was, his surprise, his bemusement, his astonishment. It's still better than the shoey. Yes, uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's make a campaign: more farts, less shoeys. Was you it can even a shoey this race? He didn't. Oh. I, I, I didn't see it. At least I kind of I kind of caught the um, the interview. I didn't hear any shoeys. I would think after it, I didn't notice it. I yeah. think after the Singapore Grand Prix, this is like, yeah, the, the Singapore Grand Prix is the worst race oh, to do a shoey. Oh, that is yeah. true. That is true. You do not want to drink a shoey on, on Singapore. <laughs> that is a very fair point. But oh, also, I think that he even even Ricardo thinks it got old, and maybe he just wants to do it. 
when he wins, which was the whole point from the beginning of the year. <laughs> but then, no, the first podium he gets, he fucking dunks the thing. But, uh, yeah. Wait, we forgot to talk about Ericsson spinning out, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Marcus yeah. Ericsson. Um, he still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, he also spun and ended up facing the wrong way, uh, which had Lewis Hamilton perplexed as to why they didn't just throw out a virtual safety car until he realized that, oh, yeah, this car is facing the wrong way in a, in a part of the track that only holds the length, the width of one car and not in that mm. direction. Uh, which, you know, it's up to blame for that. Did you know that Lewis Hamilton is undefeated as a vegan? <laughs> <laughs> can uh, can somebody give me... Can, in Connor Daly. Yeah. Those kill chips have some roids on them. Absolutely. Oh, y'all, what? y'all, I want, I, want to see the, uh, I want to see the statistics of the crossfitting and vaping F1 drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Though, one of the things I love, uh, Racer put out an article saying, just, just just the headline, Wolf feels for Ferrari after DNFs. And I'm just like, really? No. Does he, though? Does he? No, no. The, and best, like reading... no. the best um, headliner I saw from any of the, the motorsport lot was Julian Palmer discovered he no longer had a ride via Autosport. It's Autosport. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, uh, last week, la- last week we talked about it. Did uh, did McLaren and Honda split up? Yep. Did McLaren get those Renault engines? Yep. yep. Did Toro Rosso have to take on the Honda power plants in exchange? Yep. Yep. Did Carlos Sainz get loaned to Renault in place of Julian Palmer? Yep. Did the rumor come out that Julian Palmer might have been offered a huge buyout to sit out the rest of the year? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, of course, they all featured in this race with some good results. Carlos Sainz finishing a career of best fourth. Julian Palmer finishing a career best sixth. Stoffel Van Dorn of McLaren Honda finishing a career best seventh. Out of all of those three, there were some co- pretty convincing cases for any one of those three to win driver of the day spoilers that went to lewis hamilton um who would have been your performer um i would uh i would go slightly um i would go with signs i would as backup i'd also go with lance stroll who started in the ninth row and came up to finish eighth comprehensively outperforming his a uh, teammate probably nobody important i guess yeah, I'd have to go Carlos Sainz. Yeah. I know, I know, I'm a big Carlos Sainz fan, but man, he he didn't get his, he didn't get his first podium, but a career best finish nonetheless. Same. Sainz was getting close to the podium. Like Bottas was kind of what, Bottas was choking a bit at at one point, but then the Mercedes power kicked in, and uh, yeah, he he, would, he just had to make do with what he had, but. Yeah, Signs was my driver of the day, and also great job for, for Stroll. I never, I some, I seem to never notice the other the, the guys who actually do well in the race, like the ones that come from the back to the top. But yeah, Stroll has been has been uh, doing very well. Has been doing very well recently, starting from the back and finishing midfield. I uh, I also uh, just want to point out that 
Jolian Palmer. That actually kind of sucks that he found out he was losing his ride via a post from the Motorsport Network conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and then that said conglomerate posts a story about how he found out through the conglomerate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I must say I'm starting to have a bit of an issue with some of the sort of clickbait titles that Autosport especially are coming out with when it comes to their first side. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't this a wasn't this a point of contention over the race weekend? Ah, oh, yes, and man, I I know some of you are listening, Autosport magazine. We we know that we have some hi, sort of hi Josh. Sorry, Josh. Uh, we 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 only do this because we love you, Josh. Hi, future Dre. <laughs> but yeah this what was what was that title involving lewis hamilton and him clinging to life clinging to life Boy. excuse me oh golly yeah that's uh whew. that's a uh, that's a that's a, in recent years that's a very poor taste uh lead Yes, I, I let me be a hundred percent certain this wasn't Autosport. I'm gonna look this up. I'm gonna confirm this because. Wait, what was the article about though? Because I think uh, I missed it. Was about, it. It, w- it was heading into the weekend, and he f- pretty much like they took a quote out of context about Lewis Hamilton describing his title hopes. Uh, yeah, I, I I missed that. I didn't see that, and I, I'm kind of glad I didn't see that actually. Y'all, Sergio Perez quietly had a pretty good day in fifth. Um, mm-hmm. Roman Grosjean snuck his way into the points. Um, Pascal Verlein almost scored just from the fact that he survived. Um, we mentioned that Carlos Sainz didn't score his first podium. You know who else didn't score his first podium this weekend? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that would be the third fastest driver of the winning team at the 2015 24 hours of Le Mans. That would be Nico Hulkenberg, who only completed 48 laps with a hydraulic issue. Um, he got up to third at the start, and immediately everybody was, oh, this is going to be the race. This is going to be the race that Hulkenberg starts. And I was looking at it. I'm like, no, he started the race on wet tires. This race is, this track is drying out so fast. He is going to be screwed. It ain't happening. And that was before the hydraulic issue. So Nico Hulkenberg now has the Formula One record for the longest career without a first podium finish. He took that away from Adrian Sutil, for whom he was famously traded to from Sauber to Force India in the 2013-14 offseason. Okay, and just to confirm, it, yes, it was Autosport. And the headline was Lewis Hamilton hanging on for dear life in Singapore Grand Prix qualifying. That that makes it sound like he barely made it out of the first round of qualifying and barely made it through the second round. That's or like he barely he just barely made it to the second round and maybe just missed out on the third round. I mean, it's it's fifth on a ultra technical street course that isn't conducive to passing. To them, it might as well have just felt like he was starting on the twentieth row. Uh, 
Yeah. What was yeah, that like, headline in Monaco? Where was <laughs> that headline in Monaco? That is also true. I mean, there was um, an article. Well, there was one in regarding Formula E, which was why Felipe Massa joining Formula E after his hashtag F1 career would be the wrong move. Dot dot dot. For the electric series. And it's like. Well, like, I read that article and it kind of makes. Like, it made sense, but it made it seem like it wasn't, like, yes, it was wrong for the series, because pretty much uh, someone had said, in the article it said that Masa wouldn't even be, like, the, like, top ten on the list of prospective drivers, where, like, there are a whole bunch of other people who would love to be in Formula E that are way better than Felipe Masa. Uh, Yeah. It it just seems, like, it just seemed, like, overdramatic. And I don't yeah. don't put don't put that evil on Rio Harianto. I I just don't care for for like any like t- any Twitter stories where or that are linked where that that's what starts it before you reach the link. If it starts like that, it's like I don't really care. It's like yeah, it, it no no headline should be in the form of a question. That is terrible. Mm-hmm. No, that it's, is that no. is terrible writing. Yes, uh, that's that isn't that isn't that like writing one hundred and one? Don't put the question in your art in the, in the title. But I actually managed yeah. to get the the author of this article to respond to me because I was, I, it's like they're trying to because I felt they're trying to make this sound like a controversial opinion. And it's like, yeah, I can see why Felipe isn't really ideal. It's like, yeah, you're not really going to want to be considered that oh when this is where all the F1 drivers are sort of going to out to pasture you don't want that to be the view of your series so it's like yeah, oh don't that... worry don't worry we've uh we've got some names here that are coming to the uh for the Formula E test in Valencia um yeah. but I had him say like he was like, I said like I'm loving how all the controversial like pieces have been behind paywall recently to which they went Hey, not hiding at all. Just part of more in-depth stuff we offer our subscribers. Had a lot to say on the subject. It's like, yeah, reading that. Yeah, it's, it's basically saying that they can't put news behind a paywall. That's like the number one thing they can't do. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's just like. It's smart. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, it does. I it doesn't give me any. I'm not incited to read it, which is what I kept saying. It's like. It felt quite be it felt like dramatic when it wasn't needed. Yeah. Like, like they've like they've been trying to get people to sign on to plus, like they have a free plus article about uh basically what the like basically they wrote an opinion piece cuz that's what the plus articles are meant to be, opinion pieces. And they have an opinion piece out about how the WEC how the WEC should move forward to stop their decline, which is like a great aspect. That's a that's a great thing to look into. But I'm not like I'm not enticed to read it when the headline is how the WEC plans to stop the rot. And it's like mm, uh-huh. the rot? Like Yeah it, You're trying uh-huh. to be like catchy and like clever and yeah, witty, like, but it Am I reading my local tabloid? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Am I reading the sun? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the the odd sport writer is Scott Mitchell. Hello, if you happen to be listening. His final response to me was, there's a difference between baiting for cheap clicks and trying to encourage people to read an in-depth piece they'd otherwise overlook. And it's like, yeah, but I've just said, like, I literally just said I'm overlooking this because I feel like this is, like, a pointless fluff piece. Yeah, like, he, he basically just, like, in that, it's like, oh, we're going to do it. This. Like, you pretty much pointed out that that you're pretty much doing the same thing that you said you're not doing. That this You're trying to sell it as clickbait. I love how we're having a much more in-depth and interesting discussion about clickbait than we are about the actual Singapore <laughs> That's the kind of race it was. I, I rate this I rate this uh, final score of 118, 110 Canelo. That's yeah. <laughs> Dre, Dre said that first. Uh, he gave me permission. He gave me written consent to uh, to use that joke. Please um, at him at uh, Harrison101HD to to send your complaints. Um, we had Hamilton winning from Ricardo from Botas. Uh, Carl Sides finished fourth. Can we Singer snore. No, no, because uh, because I I will be I will always be up for a Singapore race. It's, uh, it's it's an aesthetically pleasing event. It's aesthetically pleasing, but at the same time, we can't, it's it's like it's a bit like Monaco, where unless the safety car comes out at the right point in the middle of everyone's trying to do their pit stops. So are are we try are we are we on board with stage racing at Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> no, that still wouldn't make any difference because let's face it, it would just be the same person winning all three stages. Uh, I don't know. Make them start from the back every every time they win a stage. Like just put, pile on gimmick after gimmick after gimmick until it finally gets exciting. <laughs> let's put oh playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. Julian Palmer <laughs> insists. We'll stick a Joker laugh in. Stoffel Van Dorn in seventh. Lance Stroll in eighth. Romain Grosjean in ninth. Esteban Ocon in tenth to round out the points. Let's look at this uh, Drivers' Championship here. Uh, as we mentioned, Lewis Hamilton has now gained uh, gained a whopping 28-point advantage over Sebastian Vettel. That lead is now 263 to 235. Valtteri Bottas is solidly in third. Daniel Ricardo has moved up to fourth. Kimi Räikkönen is fifth, and congratulations, Sergio Perez! It's your lucky day. You're now level with point with Max Verstappen on points at sixty-eight. Yes. Oh with God. Verstappen getting the edge on countback, Esteban Ocon in eighth, um, chasing Chilton's record. Carlos Sainz in ninth. Nagel Hulkenberg slips down to tenth. In the constructors' championship, we have closed out our safari our chrome window so i'm gonna go ahead and pull that back up again uh i i can tell you without even looking that it's a it's a lot it's a lot in favor of a a mercedes here uh one thing before you say it um i read it someone on twitter said that uh, max verstappen has only finished 50 percent of his races this year yes yes oh wow that's fernando got a better finishing rate than him yes he does Oh, he oh, does. No. I, 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 think, uh, I think Alonso's uh, failed to finish like ten out of thirteen. 
I'm sure he's been classified in more of that, but... uh, Yeah, he's been classified, but uh, he hasn't finished. Also, Bob Varsha came back for ENBC, and he got to call the finish twice. (laughs) Nobody... Because he wasn't sure. He didn't know that there was a... And in fairness, I didn't know that they added a final lap on once the timer had expired. Yeah, this race went time certain. Two hours of Singapore was one hell of an endurance race. Yeah. It happened here, too. The Brazilian commentator also called it a lap early, and I was lost my shit. I'm pretty sure Crofty did as well. <laughs> yeah, people told me that happened, too. So it's not just American incompetence. No, it's worldwide. I think nope, no the human race is stupid. Actually, it, it was difficult to know because, it's... like, I, apparently Lewis crossed the finish line just six seconds yeah. before the time limit. Uh-huh. So, like, no one knew. So everyone assumed that that was, like, the plus one lap and not the next lap. No, it's, as soon as it's, if you cross the, if once the time, it's, as long as the timers hit zero, when you've then crossed the line, that's it done. If you've crossed the line, this timer still hasn't hit zero, you've still got to keep going. No, no, no. Oh. The time limit is two hours plus one lap. Uh-huh. So they assumed when Lewis crossed the line the lap before, the timer had already ran out. So they thought that that was the last lap. But no, the timer went out after he crossed the finish line. So he had two laps to go. So when they thought it was the final lap, it was actually the penultimate lap. Yeah, I think actually the confusion was that they didn't know that there it was plus one lap. So I think that like me, they assumed that the lap oh. where the where the where the timer hit zero was the last lap. It's like in Le Mans. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, so that <laughs> but because yeah, I also forgot that it's actually one one last lap. So the timer went zero on on one lap at after he crossed it, and then he had to go one more time after he crossed it again. And like, damn yeah, it. I think it, we like, probably thought the same thing. It's like, damn it, commentators. It's like, you know Singapore, you hit the time limit. Like, you should know the rules by now. We've been doing this for ten years. You should know it's two hours plus one lap. Gosh. Yeah, Mercedes leads Ferrari by 102 points. Red Bull is a distant third. Force India is a distant fourth. Williams Mercedes just having a by by their own admission, they call it a, a crap-ass season uh, where they're <laughs> solidly fifth in the championship. And uh, there were times in this decade where Williams would kill to have a year like this. <laughs> Was there it crap-ass point... with those words? Um, it, it might as well have been. <laughs> uh, Toro Rosso insists. This is a fun-ass battle for fifth in the championship. You've got Williams, Toro Rosso, Renault, and... Haas, all separated by 22 points. And then there's McLaren, Honda, and Sauber Ferrari m- like, mopping up the back. If, if if they centered, like, the coverage for every race till the end of the season on that battle for fifth and the constructors, F1 will be a whole lot more entertaining. They won't. Uh, uh, we have we have Malaysia next, the final Malaysian Grand Prix. I know it's sad. Rest sad in peace. For, I feel sad for Sarah. Sarah Sahaden is going to be there at the final one. She's, and she's doing maybe, art for it. Yes, which is I great. I can't wait she, to see the completed piece. Yeah, she's putting out uh, her, her uh, some of the chibis on Instagram and Facebook. They look really Wonderful. cute. I love them. Absolutely. Great work, Sarah. Go, 
go 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 sarah you're the best um please make sure the people come to this because uh ooh, ooh, that uh that sentence is paltry last few years and that's part of the reason why you're losing this race yeah, um, despite so, having the cheapest ticket prices on the calendar <laughs> I believe last time I checked it was about the average ticket price was about 25 US dollars for the weekend god um let us um let us uh shift gears for a bit because uh if uh if this if this uh race in Singapore did not provide enough overtaking uh, we're kind of going to be out of luck in this one. But we got a champion, y'all. And his name is Joseph Newgarden. Do, 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 do. Describe our new champion um, as you have read it and sent to me in the first of our mail bag <laughs> questions. Oh, this was from Forbes. Oh, God, I need to get it up now. Um, he sports Kendall good looks, but he's also an endearing goofball who doesn't take himself too seriously. And he just keeps on winning. Mm -hmm. I didn't win this race, but he won the championship. Joseph Newgarden is your IndyCar champion. I it happened. It happens. Joseph Newgarden is first year with Team Penske. Like I I I kind I kind of shot my shot a bit. I admit I think, I believe I called Joseph Newgarden to win the championship last year, but I was kind of thinking like, well, maybe he just kind of eases into it and he's still got time at a side where he doesn't have to win the title this year and he'll still really impress and then oh my god, he's your champion and he leads the series and wins and takes his stuff to a whole new level this was fantastic um the rest of the gopro grand prix of sonoma was uh it was honestly kind of forgettable um you raised the point maybe the finale should be an oval instead of a road course that doesn't that isn't like you know notoriously bad for passing <laughs> and uh sure enough as soon as uh joseph newgarden qualified in the front row i'm like yep yeah. That's it. That's the title. All he has to do is not fuck this up. He has to not do a Montoya. It's fine. I'm I'm at peace now. Mm -hmm. Joseph Newgarden is the youngest um, champion in American oval wheel, open wheel racing. Uh, I want to say since Sam Hornish, and the youngest unified champion since Jack Villeneuve. Uh, also. The, when Scott Dixon won his first championship, it worked out in terms of number of wins, number of podiums, exact same. He's mirrored Dixie. <laughs> oh so it's God. like... What, it's Passing like, the torch. Like I wouldn't mind that omen compared to like the, the Villeneuve one. Yeah, that sounds like a better omen. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Nobody nobody needs to be reminded of Jack Villeneuve. <laughs> um, especially lately. Y'all, 
this was this was a fun ass season like there was so much stuff that happened into like this thickly condensed brick of an IndyCar season that we just swallow up in one bite in like a span of like four months uh we have a new champion in Joseph Newgarden we had 10 different winners from 17 races we had a first time Indy 500 winner we had a tons of competitive parody yeah um, six different teams won races this year six yeah, drivers um, went in with a mathematical chance of winning yes and and credit to NBCSN for uh, for not succumbing to the news media's attempts to to uh to try and discredit out Xander Rossi's championship challenge which even though of, that challenge ended quickly yes yeah, that it, it ended fast. In fact, he slipped behind Graham Rahal in the points. Mm-hmm. I, well, I wasn't it was mechanical that. rather than him having a crash. Right. Yeah, it was. It was, it was an honorable retirement, I guess. Yeah. I will say that the closest thing this race to got to interesting because I was just worried that it was going to end in tears was uh, after <laughs> the final round of pit stops where Simon Paginot had managed to get the jump on Joseph Newgarden. The undercut worked yeah. for New- for Paginot, and uh, Newgarden came out right behind him, and you thought he was going to make a move, but Paginot kind of having gateway in the back of his mind was just like, oh no, kiddo, not so fast. I'm just today. gonna not not today, Joseph. Also, and he just threw the ball. No, no, Moshehi. Tim Sendrick constantly go like they were constantly going to like at the end with Tim Sendrick on the radio to Joseph reminding him like, You've got the championship, you don't need to do anything, just let him get this one. All I could think was back to two thousand and fourteen and every time Will <laughs> went to go to the pits, Tim going, Have you got the the um Breaks uh, your your track limiter on. Remember, you're going into the pits. Track limiter on, because I think in that season, Will managed to get, I think in about nearly half the races, he had to do a drive-through penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Oh <laughs> God. Ah uh, man, he could have lost the one for me, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Just looking back on this season as a whole, I mean, we all kind of expected that Penske was going to be a factor, and Chip Ganassi as well. But Zoe, you made the comment that um, would Scott Ditson, was Scott Ditson getting better support in his championship bid from <laughs> people who don't who aren't even employed in the same team as him? Yeah, it, it, it got a bit funny because you, you sit there and it's always you always hear how it's the terrible thing of you. If you and your teammate are fighting for the championship, because oh, you like you're going to have bias and this, that, and the other, and it causes problems in the team. And you, you looked at Penske, and you had like well designed between uh, what the last race and this race to go surfing and injuring his knee. And at one point, you had Joseph was basically piggybacking him between the interviews they were doing. Gosh. There's, there's pictures of Joseph giving Will a piggyback because Will couldn't really walk. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you can tell they hate each other. It's totally <laughs> like, 
I was like, I was really hoping they would have done a repeat of the picture from last year where you had Simon and Will sort of with the fists up at each other and they're both of them are clearly trying not to laugh. <laughs> As they, they, they try to look like they hate each other. But I... Meanwhile, like, you had Scott on his own and the four car team literally on his own because I think at the end of the season at the end of the race, what was it, Tony was the highest up in the, the championship at like 10th? I think he just yeah. managed to stay in the top 10. Yeah, um, he was seven points seven ahead points. of Matt Shilton. And Maximum Chiltonium. I mean, in the end, it ended up being that Marco and Graham were playing better wingmen for Scott than no. <laughs> any of the other Ganassi guys because like both of them had plenty several opportunities. They could have easily overtook Scott a couple of times and they didn't. They just held position. Well, I, I have this strange theory where they really really didn't want to upset Scott Dixon's significant other. <laughs> yeah. M- oh my gosh. Poor Emma Davies Ditson. She, just, she's just trying to be a good fan. She, she <laughs> quite well until she she posted the picture of her sprawling Joseph girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny. I mean, before the race, she posted a collage and it's the two of them just posing and giggling and all this. And then after the race, when they're wherever they went for their the sort of party. Throttling. I mean, yeah, the joke was wasn't good. That the joke, the picture was in good nature, but you know that deep inside, she really wanted to do it. <laughs> Boy, it's Emma um, Davis Dixon. She really wanted to do it. Yep, yeah, um, Scott Ditson, Elio Castroneves, they tried their hardest, just fell short of the title, and that. Um, as much as it pains me to say it, Matt. They finished third and fourth. Uh, no, fourth and fifth. Uh, saw the top five finishes, just not enough to get them over the hump. And for Elio Castroneves, in his 20th season, still has magnificent hair, but that may have been his last shot at winning the title. A point that uh, NBCSN pit reporter and uh, frequent <laughs> frequent job searcher Robin Miller uh, <laughs> just brought up immediately after the race was over. Don't forget, if, it was you know, Robin Miller that got Joseph this right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> At the closing <laughs> laps of the race, Robin Miller goes off on this monologue about how he got it into Tim Sendrick's head. Tim Sendrick, who didn't want to sign Joseph Newgarden because he was immature, and he wrecked a lot. But he, he just reminded him of Parnelli Jones and Mark Donahue, and he had to sign him, and then after four years of having to jab needles into Tim Sendrick's back, he finally relented and gave Joseph Newgarden a drive at Team Penske. And all along, you know, he was actually just a case of a young driver just steadily progressing from being a promising prospect into being a true talent. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, just it like, wasn't like ignoring a, uh, an interview that would happen later on in the broadcast where Roger Penske <laughs> pretty much said he's always had his eye on Joseph, but last year he knew it was time. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd already had Ganassi had tried to take Joseph previously, but Joseph refused because he was sticking with Sarah Fisher. He was loyal yep. to Sarah Fisher. Curiously, after one season, like the first season that he wasn't, like obviously last year, it was no longer Sarah Fisher, Ed Carpenter racing. It was just Ed Carpenter racing, and that was the year Joseph left. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's like, isn't that Ed Carpenter, the guy that I replaced at Sarah Fisher? Yeah, at Sarah Fisher Hartman because he just bounced with this sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Um. So for that, we have to say thank you. Sarah Fisher for giving us the next great American racing superstar. Like I said after the race that I think that like over the top nationalism and uh, American essentialism, especially in any car, a sport that has a nasty history of jingoism uh, that has threatened to damage the sport for years and years. Uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but at the same well, time, what, what do you also- mean threatened to have damaged the sport? It is actually damaged the sport. <laughs> That's true. But I, I do also want to just bring it back to the point that I think Joseph Newgarden is a genuine star of the future. He's going to be your rock for 15 years. You have a kid who is media savvy, who has good looks, who is who can say all the right things, but can also drive the hell out of a car. Um, you have this golden opportunity to build your series around somebody who's going to be here for years and years and years because you know that NASCAR is not in a position to do what they did with AJ Allmendinger and lure him away with a multi-billion dollar contract with an upstart team just as Allmendinger was hitting his stride god damn it I just made myself sad again or you know <laughs> or you know to- or Tony Stewart before him or or Jeff Gordon before him or you could just do what you or and the less said about Ryan Hunter Ray, the better. As David Land, our friend of the show, said, you had two opportunities with Ryan Hunter Ray, and you messed him up twice. Do not mess this opportunity up with Joseph Newgarden. He's the guy driving for the preeminent team in the sport. He is the most likable champion that we've had in a while. He is genuinely fun. Does anyone remember the, the time that Joseph tried to do a, do a video blog on YouTube? No, I don't. No, remember. that that was before my time. He, he, I think my 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 first exposure to Joseph Newgarden as a person was when he did this uh, vignette for then versus at the time the, the broadcast for IndyCar, where he was like, "Let me go around the paddock and see who, who can recognize me." <laughs> for a short period of time, he tried to do a, a video vlog. He doesn't like doing video blogs but he wanted to interact with his fans and it was that one episode it was like i'm late but i've got out before the next race so i'm early i was like no i'm still late (laughs) (laughs) and it was just like he wanted to try and interact with the fans it didn't quite it wasn't like probably if he'd done it now he'd be a lot more comfortable with it but at the time he wasn't quite comfortable with it 
Yeah, like, do at we the time, realize he, he wasn't comfortable with it, and he also didn't have that many fans, because, like, from that vignette, he went, like, he went around, like, the, you know, he went around the, you know, the merchandise haulers, like, like, literally no one knew who he was. And he's like, like, it's like, I'm Verizon IndyCar, I'm like, I'm IZOD IndyCar driver Joseph Newgarden. I, uh, I think it is very appropriate that the championship battle in the final race of the season went down to the two co-stars of Drivers of the Corn at Iowa Speedway. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing! That, um, there, in the history, or in recent history of motorsport, there's only been three drivers in open wheel racing who have completed every lap of a season. Michael Schumacher. Simon. Tony Canaan and now Simon Pagano. Yeah, that's like the that's like something that goes underappreciated. Like, yeah, Simon Pagano didn't successfully defend his title. He came close and he finished every lap this season. Simon Pagano is for real, and we kind of take for granted the fact that you know, oh, we had such a rough first start at Team Penske. They started over with a brand new fourth team. Yeah, like that's that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like. I don't care if it is Team Penske. You're starting from scratch. Yeah, My like you're dude. So, like that team for the most part was Team Penske in name only. They hired like new mechanics, new engineers, new everything. Mm. Oh my gosh, this was a good ass season. Why does it have to be over already? Um, football, football, football. and I like ready for some football. Football. Also, I, I wouldn't mind if the IndyCar season ended where it does now. If it just started earlier, like if we started like you know how we have like the Memorial Day Classic, that being you know the Indianapolis 500, we have you know Pocono close to Labor Day. It'd be nice if we had like a 500 mile oval race to open the season, like in February around President's Day. Homestead. Yeah, probably Homestead or Fontana. Either or would be nice. Fontana, isn't Homestead like a little... Uh, as long as it's not a night race. I don't want another Fontana night race. <laughs> I don't think... But I yeah, you, you, could have, you could have Homestead as a night race and it would yeah. be fine because it's Miami. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think every time it was ending at Fontana as a night race, I was a mental wreck. <laughs> oh no, oh right, yeah, Fontana used to be like an actual yeah. night race. Jesus, yes. that would have wrecked me too. Yeah, it's terrible. Just li- yeah, it's terrible if you just live on the east coast of the United States. Because <laughs> I think, I mean, I I looked at my my time hop in regards to this time last year, where obviously it was the, the last season was the same time, and I've literally got one, and it's obviously in reference to um, Will's car deciding to die. And it just oh god, where is it now? And it just goes, what the fuck? Don't do this to me. And then I'm not trying. I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it, that'll be when Will's car died. Oh, like man. I can literally um, feel that was what was going on there. And probably if I had, if I had Twitter back a couple years ago, I'd had the exact same thing when Will chose to know at Fatona a few times. Yeah, whatever. That would be great if we could do the road course of Daytona, even though, like, 
Oh my god, I didn't even know what they were thinking. We're like, yeah, let, let's let's test out the road course at Daytona. Maybe IndyCar could race at Daytona Motors at Daytona International Speedway. That would be cool, though. That yeah. would be cool and also, like, stupidly dangerous. Yeah. Because I know um, they wanted to do the the motorcycle course, which is, like, the, the road course that bypasses, like, turn NASCAR turn one and two completely. But still, it would have been dangerous as all heck. God. Um, no, this was a this was a race that, for my personal interest, was refreshingly processional. Uh, if you were just a neutral observer hoping for like a race of just like crazy ass lead changes, this probably wasn't going to be your thing, and you're probably wishing that this season just ended on oval. But in the end, you know, we got a great champion and a fun way to finish out the season with Penske podium sweep Simon Pagano ahead of Joseph Newgarden your new champion ahead of Will Power all covered by 1.6 seconds at the line Scott Nixon finishes fourth Elio Castroneves in fifth and maybe his last race as a full-time driver Graham mm-hmm. Rahal moving up to sits in the points with the sixth place finish Marco Andretti finishing a quiet and determined seventh as the best of the Andretti Autosport bunch ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray at eighth Sebastian Bourdais in ninth, capping off his late-season comeback. Connor Daly was the only driver not named Pagano or Newgarden to lead laps, and he finished 10th. But the most important thing is we found out who pranked his bus at the Indy 500. (laughs) It was his own team. (laughs) It was his own team all along. And they told him via cake that he probably could because he's <laughs> oh, the, you probably couldn't even eat that cake. The banter never ends. Charlie Kimball finished 11th. Speaking of banter, and Matt Stilton finished 12th to round out the lead lap finishers. Spencer Pickett finished 13th. J.R. Hildebrand in 14th. Carlos Munoz in 15th, ahead of Tony Kanan in 16th. Zachary Clayman DeMello in 17th on his IndyCar debut. Yeah, you brought the car home, kid. Ahead of Motorsport 101 guest Jack Harvey, Ed Jones in 19th, with Takuma Sato, Alexander Rossi, James Hinchcliffe, rounding out those who were classified in this event. As far as the final Drivers' Championship goes, Joseph Newgarden, your champion at 642 points. Simon Pagano in second at 629. Scott Ditson in third at 621. How many times is it that Scott Ditson has finished top three in the championship in his career? Insanely lot. Yeah. Elio Castro Neves in fourth at 598. Will Power in fifth. Which, you know, another solid season, though probably not at the Will Power standard season fifth. Graham Rahal jumping over Alexander Rossi at the very end. 522 points to 494 ahead of Tuka Masato who finishes the season out eighth um, that was remarkably well done for Tuka Masato. I know he gets a big boost of it from his Indy 500 win but you're one of three Japanese drivers ever that's ever won a leg at the Triple Crown <laughs> you were set for life buddy Ryan Hunter Ray finished in ninth Tony Kanan somehow finished in tenth despite the fact that at times Tony Kanan who looked up unqualified matt Stilton finished 11th in points at 396 marco andretti was 12th 
James Hinchcliffe uh, slumped really bad in the late part of the season and fell down to 13th ahead of Ed Jones, your Sonoka Rookie of the Year, and soon-to-be free agent J.R. Hildebrand at 15th. Carlos Munoz finished 16th, Charlie Kimball in 17th, Connor Daly in 18th of the points, noted free agent Michaela Lotion in 19th, Spencer Piggott in 20th, Sebastian Bourdain in 21st, and Ed Carpenter in 22nd. Yeah, let's let's dive right into this silly season because that also happened this weekend. Spencer Piggott's got a full-time ride! It's at J.R. Hildebrand's expense. But Spencer Piggott has a full-time ride, baby! Yeah, that's... Like, uh. It's like, Ed, get out of the car. Just leave it. <laughs> Even Paul o- Tracy Oval Master. Oval Master needs to become Oval Mentor now. <laughs> like, Ed o- Carpenter... Oval Master I've made Uncle this point. Dad. <laughs> I've, I've made this point before. As long as Ed Carpenter feels in his mind, as long as we feel like Ed Carpenter is fast enough to have a chance winning an Indianapolis 500, he's not going to let it go. He's going to become this generation's Gary Bettenhausen, where he's going to drive to 50, and we're all going to get sucked into thinking that this is the year that Indiana (laughs) native Ed Carpenter wins the race. I don't mind if he just done Indy. If it was just Indy, I'd be fine with it. It's like you're you're taking up seat time when you really don't have any point to it at this point. It's like it was different when you could still maybe just say, well, yeah, you could win the championship just off ovals. You can't now. You're, you're basically... I don't even think there was like it's been a long time yeah. since you could win on just over. I know that I... before, like before Ed even like started doing just ovals, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I know, but I mean, like that was like the only time you could have justified. And here's the thing: when when the series was all ovals, that was when Ed Carpenter was not at his best as a driver. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the crazy. That's the crazy ass thing. Uh, who's gonna be? Who's gonna form the second half of the Voltron in car number twenty with Spencer Pickett now in the twenty-one full time? Finally getting that old Volt spirits. Oh god damn it! Hey, is uh, is Pastor Maldonado's number still around? You know he was in consideration for it. Early two thousand I mean, like, they've already lost the title of All-American Team to Andretti Autosport. That's true. <laughs> it's your lucky day. Zach Veach forms forms the fourth car. They announce the sponsor. He's going to be in car 26. Will they have room for a fifth car? Mm, probably going to be redundant now that Fernando Alonso is uh, you know, probably going to stay. Probably going to stay in Formula 1. Just come to IndyCar, my dude. Chip still like Chip still all hashtag I like winners. That brings us to a uh, <laughs> brings us to a segue. We're gonna dip out of the mailbag here from Marcus Hoare. If you were running Trevor Carlin's rumored IndyCar entry, who would you pick as drivers other than Matt Chilton? Fuck Matthias it, let's Leist. swing for the fence. Swing for the fences, because you know who was Carlin's lead driver in the 2010 GP3 series. No. Joseph Newgarden. (laughs) (laughs) 
Fuck it. Why not? That would Why? be some swing. Why not? Um, Matthew Bowden would be quite good. I'd yeah. Get that is you still got a young young team, someone who's still got the experience and all that. And I think he's having way too much fun in Stadium Super yeah. Trucks, the only real motorsport. Uh, made famous by Ari Leyendijk Jr. of The Bachelor. Um, <laughs> Mr. Meeseeks, at Dr. B underscore 097, with the confirmed new teams and potential new teams coming in for 2018, how many cars will be on the IndyCar Series grid next year? Um, probably going to hard cap it at 22, y'all. Yeah, 22 over 33 on the 500 as always. And maybe a few extra entries on the some of the larger ovals. Maybe Harding is going to come as a as an under, like an extra entry, not full time, probably not. Or maybe a one um, Steinbrenner Racing could decide to push up their lone driver for a one-off attempt at the 500 a year before his full season debut. <laughs> Let him try and get that youngest ever Indy 500 winner. <laughs> yeah, just just like we're we're right up against the age limit we're, we're pushing it hard we're like within days because indycar really needs a comparison with max verstappen <laughs> yeah but henry chapman to, to be fair to like colton at least he's actually going up the, the ladder he didn't just do like one season in open wheel and was then straight up to indycar this is what is third second or third fourth season because he was over oh, in yeah. Europe for a while, and that's him now back in America, and he's doing a set. He's doing a second season in delights. So I mean, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's kind of because he can't. Yeah. Yeah. If he could, he, I'm pretty sure he would have been going up. He didn't seem to be too confident in jumping straight up either, though. Uh, well, it, I mean, it's. Uh, it's it's a variety of factors where it's like, yeah, he didn't win the championship, but, like, it's not like Kyle Kaiser was some, like, random guy off the street that he lost. Kyle Kaiser is an extremely talented and competent driver. Like, there's no doubt Colton Herta would be competitive if he, w if he went to IndyCar next year. Hmm. The fact Are is any... that... The fact is that, yes, he didn't feel confident, like... For, for him to race full-time next year, he'd need to be confident enough to axe IndyCar to make an exception to their rules to let him run. Uh. Is he the answer to Henry Chapman's question? What driver from the Mazda Road to Indy has the most promise in your eyes? Victor Franzoni. Um, I'm, I'm going to go off the board. Um, Oliver Askew, first year in USF 2000, wins the title. He's got a pro Mazda scholarship. Probably going to win the title because... Pro Mazda has like eight cars. Oliver Askew was really good in USF 2000 this year. Um, obviously, a lot of people look to Colton Hurd as being the next second generation American superstar of open wheel racing. Um, Kyle Kaiser's got that scholarship, and Santi Arutia at least has like a lot of Mazda and determination on his side. Um, it's really tough to say though, because at every level of the Mazda road to Indy, you know, it's it's kind of just like you reset completely whenever you move up. Yeah, because in it, a sense. It, it really feels like like the gap 
between each of the cars, not just the lights and the big cars. Between each of the cars is so huge, and the cars like seem to handle so much differently that you have to learn. You have to basically start from scratch when you move up, which in some ways is a bad thing, some ways is a good thing, because the teams can see how quickly you can learn. On the other hand, you can't really accrue experience or skill or knowledge. It kind of comes down to how adept as a driver you are to getting a handle of your new situation. Yeah, it's kind of what the ladder to F1 should be, where it's not always about who whizzes up the ladder the fastest, even though in most cases, you know, a lot of your world champions are the guys who move up the ladder the fastest. Um, but that's not always proof, foolproof. Just ask Sage Karam or Matthew Brabham for more information on that. Because they they were they were they got the rocket ship strapped to them and uh they're uh, they're not they're not doing much now. Through yeah. no fault of their own. Well, it really just depends on who you ask. Um how miserable is this gonna be wait going to be for next season? I want next season to start already. Yeah, they haven't even released the schedule yet for next season. Oh boy. Oh golly. We we have a sort of basic our, our alleged schedule already up on the Wikipedia though. Yeah, like for the it's most part ha- it should be exactly the same as last year, maybe add or subtract Mexico City. Maybe. Um and you may also you got a got a you got a new car you have True. a uh, you maybe have a new title sponsor uh the t-mobile oh, yeah. indycar series <laughs> the, the, the t-mobile indycar all pink don't, everything if, if if things go south at my day job i don't want to be reminded of that buddy lazier will be at the <laughs> indianapolis 500 you know that's a certainty yeah. uh of course i'll actually well, and we presume, like, off the Wikipedia page, we presume all the to-be-announces that are there will get filled. Then we're expecting 23 full-time drivers, plus yeah, a 20, which is a 24 decent. for Indy 500 at least. So far. Which is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Oh, man. Um, right. We had a good run, IndyCar. Please come back. You've been, you've, as, as Andre Harrison put it, um, IndyCar has given us more fun in the last three years than Formula One probably has in the last 18. And that says a lot. Not just about IndyCar, but also about F1 sometimes. It's like, I've been watching since 2000, or following at least, since 2006. And every year, there's been at least two drivers that have had a proper chance at the championship, and sometimes an outsider. There's always been at least two of them. They haven't gone to the final race already wrapped up. In te- yeah, like, I, th- I think on his most recent Red Pill video, David Land actually calculated, like, the last time the, cha- like, the last time the championship wasn't decided by, like, wasn't decided at the final race it was like around like it it was one of the early irl seasons 
But that was the last time it wasn't decided at the final race. Also, I, out of your curiosity, I done the maths for if IndyCar used the, the F1 style point system, and oh. Joseph would have wrapped up the title at Watkins Glen. Even with him yeah, cashing like, out because Scott needed to win the race to keep a chance. That's, that's one of the issues that I have with the FIA point scoring system. It's not really designed for driver's championships. It was always designed with uh, the constructor's championship in mind, even though the driver's championship was the first to exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'd say with the IndyCar, it kind of encourages, like, one of the whole things of F1 is obviously, as soon as the car, it doesn't, if the car's out, that's it. It's out. It's, it goes into the yeah. garage, that's it out. And F1, yeah, the safe, yeah, the Homatro safety team can bring the car back, and if you can fix it, you can go back out to a degree. So you yeah, you could go back out if you can make it back to pit lane in a reasonable amount of time. In mm -hmm. Formula One, yeah, like it, your race is over in Formula One if you're out of if you know you can't finish in the top ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just ask Fernando Alonso. <laughs> And on that bombshell, by the way, on that bombshell, by the way, in regards up? to Scott Dixon and finishing um, on the podium of the championship, apart from last year when he finished sixth, the last time he didn't finish in the top three of the championship was 2006 when he finished fourth. God. Scott Dixon is the greatest driver in American open wheel racing in our generation. For the time being, Oopie. on that on that bombshell, let us uh, let us start to wrap things up and get towards the good stuff. Centennial Cup. First, let's dive into some news. Hours of Silverstone. It's back in August 2018. Um, so, yes, uh, Britain has its uh, mandated place on the World Endurance Championship calendar. Also, there is a, there is a new name for the, uh, for the second uh, Sebring event. It's the 1500 Miles of Sebring. Uh, <laughs> taking place in, in March 2019, after the 12 Hours of Sebring. Okay, like, mm. one hand, the race is going to be insanely long because the last within the last ten years, the the furthest they've ever gotten in twelve hours was fourteen hundred miles in twelve hours, and that was two thousand nine, and the the Audi R fifteen TDI with. Tom Kirsten, Dindo Capello, and Alan McNish. They got they went they went fourteen hundred miles. They're gonna go an extra hundred. Golly. Oh, golly, may, golly. Maybe maybe it's just fifteen hundred miles in name. Who knows? It, it sounded like it's fifteen hundred miles in name, but hey, uh, Matt, good news. I'm guessing mm -hmm. Durani can win two races at once. 
Um, WC yes. had had a race um, this weekend at Coda. Um, mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Elizabeth Worth was there. She might have been like one of a hundred people. This race apparently did not draw, and that's part of the reason why Coda is going away from the super schedule. For some reason, Circuit of the Americas and Durham Sports Car Racing just aren't clicking yet. I don't know yeah. what it is. Like Porsche won again. Yeah, like for some reason for the Circuit of the Americas, the only way it could possibly work is if uh, Imbusa and Wecker are there at the same time, and that draws them a reasonable full crowd. And that's insane when you need two championships of that caliber to just get a decent crowd we got an american winner in lmp2 gustavo menezes in the number 36 signatac alpine lmp2 car uh that name does not sound american that's because he's originally from uh i know he lives in los angeles but i believe he was originally born in puerto rico oh okay which is a part of the United He's States. still American, then. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, so much for that. James Col- James Collada and Alessandro Pugridi won GT Pro for AF Corsa Ferrari. Aston Martin Racing won with Paul De Lana, Pedro Lame, and Matias Lauda. Uh, Matias Lauda, of course, the... Of course, didn't, didn't he run, like, a fake a Twitter account for his father? Uh, no, someone ran a fake Matias Lauda account that who ran... A fake Niki Lauda account at the same time. I, think. <laughs> I, I remember I, reading I, that I the Matthias Lauda also, was also fake. <laughs> yes, the next round is at Fuji Speedway. Um, I think a lot of us have kind of checked out on WEC, not because it's not good, but because yeah, Toyota's not getting off the mat. Porsche's got just gonna win, going out with double fingers blazing. Um. <laughs> Martin Truitz won at Chicagoland first race of the NASCAR playoffs. Um, so oh, we so about he NASCAR avoids... Cool. Yeah, he... Martin Truex Jr. avoids getting dropped out of the playoffs in the first round. <laughs> Ooh. God, don't remind me. Um, things are happening in e-racing uh, as Robo Race has a new CEO. <gasps> it's Lucas Degrassi. Lucas Degrassi runs a robo race now. Oh my god. Wouldn't it be a bit funny if they decided, hey, if you win the championship, you get to be robo race CEO for a year? (laughs) (laughs) That's the the shittiest shittiest thing. That's the shittiest prize I've ever heard of. Now remember, kids, you can all, all of you can achieve your dreams. Just make enough Instagram posts. Uh, That's true. Oh, it was the the whole thing with the, the sex robots apparently going like the theory about them going murderous. It's like I it's like all I need need now I tweeted about was the sex robots riding in on their their robo racers to take over. <laughs> but like part of me like doesn't understand like the mechanics of robo races corporate structure. Because now that Lucas Degrassi is CEO, the former CEO and founder of the co- company, Denis Serlov, he is he's now moving to an advisory role, which, like, he still works for Robori still. Yeah, but he might be getting more money as the advisors than as the CEO. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Um... 
Formula E testing is coming up soon. Um, here are some names that have tested. We have Brendan Hartley, who's tested for Venturi. We have Jamaria Bruni, who's tested for Venturi. Um, and then, coming up at next month's test days in Valencia at the, at the Circuit Ricardo Tormo, aka the place where MotoGP has all their finales, um, three names have popped up. We have Patrick Carpentier, Mehdi oh. Benani, the, uh, the World Touring Car Championship race winner from Morocco, and, as we may have alluded to, uh, folks, uh, folks, Indonesia is getting electric. Rio Harianto can oh, make his testing snap. debut at the official Valencia test days. His name is Rio, and he's getting all the fan boost votes. I, 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 ha I do think, though, if he, like, you know what I have my feelings about fan boosts? But maybe Rio's in there. Maybe they'll finally do something with it. Just break Van Boost. Yeah. Because let's... All three Van Boost went to Rio Harianto. <laughs> like, because let's face it, we already were sitting at a point where you had Lucas, Daniel, and Boemi were sitting there with like pretty much 80% of the vote. Generally. Or near, like, at least 70% odd. You'd then have, like, See, Felix with, like, 10%, and Nick with, like, 10%, and everyone else maybe had 1%. At least when, like, people were voting for just, like, yeah, pick the pick the hometown driver. Like, okay, whatever, it makes sense. Um, Formula E also has a support series, the I-Pace, the Jaguar I-Pace series. Yes, it's, they have uh, an electric touring car series now as a support series. Which, honestly, that might be that might be worth checking out. I, I'll, I'll tell you, it might be good because because we can't get a Tesla championship unless like, electric unless electric GT gets off the ground. As someone who's been to two double header like Formula E weekends, there's not a lot of on-track action. Like, what you see at home is what you get at the track. There's zero support series. Yeah, when I went to Battersea, you had you had practice, you had qualifying, you had the race, and you had, it was the school kids. Did you have the school kids in? Nope. Nope. Oh, by the way, actually, I'd been named to ask this. Did Andretti Autosport at least have Andretti Autosport Motors merchandise at New York in Canada? Uh, just the usual team merchandise. So they had, like, uh, it, Andretti it Autosport. Yeah, it was there. It was there, yeah. I want to I wanna, I wanna just <laughs> sidetrack for a bit because we, uh, um, speaking of Andretti Autosport contracted drivers, Robert Friends won the Blanc Pan GT Sprint Cup. This is now his fifth racing championship in six years of full-time activity. Um, and uh, I believe it was pitched in a group thread on Twitter uh, that maybe if uh, if Chip Ganassi likes winners. Hashtag, like, I like winners. Remember that. Hashtag, <laughs> I like winners. To the point that if you look up hashtag, I like winners, the first result you get is chip ganassi because he has hashtag i like winners and his bio he, <laughs> he, he liked he liked the tweet 
he liked the tweet. Um, Confirm what Zoe said that is true. I just did that. Yeah, this uh, this Twitter like confirms that Robin yeah. Friends is going to drive the eight car next year. You heard it here first. Curiously, there also is an account called I Like Winners, but it's got nothing to do with motorsport at all. It's uh, it's about it's about baseball. Okay, so that's definitely that's definitely not a Braves account. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny because I can take it out of my team because they're they're crap ass right now. They're they're young. They're young. They're still learning. Uh, Um, pull one from uh, pull one from Danny Brennan who asked if he gets a special prize for finishing sixth in the IndyCar Fantasy League. Um. Who won that shirt? Who won the shirt? Uh, the Pied Piper one. Like he he was able to pull out a gap on me during oh. he yeah, during the race. I ended up being tied for second with Indy Camping, I believe. Damn. But I went on I, I got second on the tiebreaker, so the tiebreaker actually the tiebreaker actually mattered for me. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, Pied Piper, congratulations. You get a free Motorsport 101 t-shirt. I wonder if Dre even remember I... he said that. Uh, I'll, I'll just message Dre about it. He'll, yeah. he'll get his t-shirt. He's going he's gonna to know. He knows now. He remembers now. Yes. <laughs> Definitely doesn't know. Just slide right into those DMs. Yeah. But don't do it. But, but don't do it Babylonian style. Now it's time for the main event. It's time for for this whole thing. You've you've waited long enough, and it's time for us to reveal the results of the Motorsport 101 Centennial Cup. Now, before we get started, let us just remind everybody of who everybody picked. Uh, the absent Andre Harrison selected for his team. Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> Safa Van Dorn, Robin Grosjean, James Hinchcliffe, Ryan hunter Ray, Charlie Kimball, Charles Leclerc, Artem Markalov, Nobuhara Matsushita, Jake Hughes, Juan Yu Zhao, and Tadasuke Makino, uh, with Sebastian Vettel as Charles Leclerc as his captains. Uh, I've selected for <laughs> team, this is not the greatest fantasy racing team of all time, this is just a tribute. Daniel Ricciardo, Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Tony Kanaan, Antonio Fuco, Alexander Albon, Luca Giotto, Pedro Piquet, Mick Schumacher, and Joey Mawson. King, you got Lewis Hamilton, Dino Kofiat, Nico Hulkenberg, Simon Pagano, Alexander Rossi, Matt Stilton, Norman Nato, Jordan King, Ralph Boschung, Ferdinand Habsburg, Ralph Aaron, David Beckman. Uh, Matt, you had, you begrudgingly had Matt Verstappen, Felipe Massa, Esteban Ocon, J.R. Hildebrand, Carlos Munoz, Takuba Sato, Oliver Rowland, Nicholas Latifi, Louis Delatrez, Lando Norris, Joel Erickson, and Jihan Daravala. And so we had Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz, Scott Ditson, Elio Castroneves, Graham Rahal, Gustav Malia, Sergio Canamassis, Sean Galeo, Maximilian Gunther, Harrison Newey, and Nikita Mazepin. Um, Sergio Canamassis did not drive in any of these races so zoe was effectively going into it with two formula two drivers in case you missed it uh we had three rounds of formula one three rounds of indycar uh four races of g 
Formula 2 and three races of European F3. And the team whose drivers scored the most points based on our wonderfully crafted point system uh, would go on to win the championship. Now, as we've teased, it was very close at the top. So I will hand the honors to Ryan Eric King, starting yes. with the fifth place team. Uh, how did this uh, turn out? Okay. Uh, starting us off at the bottom. He should be proud of his efforts. He did have the best Formula 3 team out there. Um, with 1,908 points, Matt, you were fifth place. Sorry, uh, my friend. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> yes, how the defending champion is fifth place. Uh, fourth place, he really thought... Charles Clerk and Sebastian Vettel would take him to the promised land, <laughs> sitting at 1,966 points. Matt, you were actually really close to Dre. <laughs> Dre fourth place. No, but clearly he, clearly the power move was uh, bidding for future Scuderia Toro Rosso driver Nobuharu Matsusha. Yes, yes. At, uh, a, uh, how, much, <laughs> how much did he bid for him? Uh, it was... Actually, I still have that. Give me one second. I can get you the exact number. It was $775. Wasn't that more God. than Charles Leclerc was, was for? Yeah, that was Charles Leclerc was $750. And the highest bid was my bid for Lewis Hamilton, which was like the only bid that actually made sense for $975. Scott Dixon was $975 as well. Oh yeah, Dixon was nine seventy five as well. Not worth as much, but close. Okay, third place. Down a driver, but still third place. <laughs> actually, nope. Miscalculation there. Uh, oh, Dre's actually third place. Sorry, Zoe. Oh you're no! Fourth place. <laughs> you're, you're, you're fourth place with one thousand nine hundred. And 54 points. Oh, no. Oh, that's... I want to see your score sheet. <laughs> yeah, I can, I'll, I'll send you over the official score sheet. I demand a recount. <laughs> I, I didn't yeah, realize that, that my guys wasn't racing. I was kind of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I bet... Oh my gosh! Yeah, because like when when I realized that Sergio Canamasso, so basically you tell me if I had suck Helio as yeah, you would have finished third. You would have finished third. I right. I mean, (laughs) 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 you would have finished third by I believe like about five or so points. No, no, you you go for Maximilian Gunfer. He's he's second in the championship. Hey, like, if, if you had to, like, take out all the, like, all the great drivers that Max picked, I mean, that, that Matt pit, Max was, like, the next best on the table. <laughs> all right. I think, I think what that means, King, is that for the win of this uh, Centennial Cup, it's going to come down to you and me. Yeah, it's, it's between you and me. You, you had some great choices there. Uh, your your best point scores was Daniel Ricardo with four hundred and yeah four hundred twenty six out of a possible six hundred. Yeah, Joseph Newgarden getting four oh eight out of a possible six hundred. Uh, on my end, I had Simon Pagano getting four twenty eight out of a possible six hundred. 
Lewis Hamilton being the only driver to get a perfect score by winning every single race with 600 points, though I had some shitty drivers. David Beckman only brought home 76 points. Uh, Ralph Vachang only brought home 98 points. Jordan King, my namesake, he let me down. He brought home 88 points. Let's just say, RJ, you had 2,174 points. I had 2,224 God points. damn it! <laughs> I win the Centennial Cup. RJ, you come a close second place. I... Just to be sure, like, after I made sure that, uh, after I realized how close it was between Dre and Zoe, I recounted everything and then figured out that Zoe unfortunately finished fourth place. So, like, I scored everything twice. The numbers are 100% correct. I can send you the the score sheets over. See how I, I, I bet on, I, I paid for Marco. Can I just have him <laughs> added as, since my other guy just didn't appear? No. The, yeah, the problem was that, yeah, the problem was that Marco was in another series. Like, any situation where you, like, you putting in Marco for any of your IndyCar drivers, you would have scored even less points. I hate this. <laughs> the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at sacrifice. Hey, RJ, you, you, you did well. You did really well. <laughs> it's like honorable mention has to go to... Uh, Matt's Formula 3 team, which those three drivers on their own scored 848 points. Uh, the second best three-driver three series lineup was my Formula 1 team, which scored 822. And, yeah, no one, else, no, one, no one was able to put together three drivers that scored more than 800 points besides my Formula 1 guys and your Formula 3 guys. On that bombshell, it's time to end it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and Patreon if you want to support the show financially. We're all on Twitter. I'm RJ O'Connell, speaking for a, a, a overly overjoyed Ryan Eric King and a bunch of people who should rightfully feel cheated out of a victory. We'll catch you on the next episode. Sayonara. Bye, y'all. Bye, I guess. Yeah, we're. Bye. It's like I'm, guys, guys. I'm, I'm so excited. My favorite team next year is gonna be Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Renault, y'all. Oh my God. RJ, you know what you, you, you didn't see it all throughout this entire thing. Tennessee, stand up. <laughs> okay, now we can clear. <laughs> right. Okay, now I guess it's goodbye for real. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 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 you are the world champion!